Hey, this is Len Testa, and this is our episode of the Disney Dish for July 2016. A couple of housekeeping things before we begin today's show. One, check out DisneyDish.BandCamp.com for a collection of other original Disney Dish shows not available on iTunes. They're about a dollar each. Uh, two, Jim and I are looking to do an in-park event in Orlando at some time in 2017, and I'm kind of excited about what I'm about to tell you guys. Um, you all know that I used to do these uh, in-park events as part of the WDW Today show at an event called Reunion every December. Uh, those were some of the best and most fun experiences I've ever had in the parks, and I kind of miss doing them. If you've never heard our custom audio script for Spaceship Earth, our Rocky Horror Picture Show version of Carousel of Progress, or the That's What She Said Jungle Cruise skipper story, look them up on Google to see what these things can be. Uh, plus, you know Jim's restraining order has probably expired by now, so we're in the clear there too. Anyway, doing live events in these parks requires a travel agency to coordinate everything, from getting us a place to actually do the events, to getting y'all rooms to stay at while you're there. And here's where you guys come in. You're going to help us pick the travel agency that we use for live events. That's right. Before we partner with a travel agency to do this event, before we take any advertising dollars from anyone, we want to make sure that y'all are satisfied with their service. Stakeholder capitalism, kids. That's what this is all about. The travel agency that we're considering is Storybook Destinations at storybookdestinations.com slash Disney Dish. It's run by Tammy Whiting, who unofficial guide readers say is one of the best Disney travel agents in the country. Tammy also blogs about the Disney Cruise Line for touringplans.com, and she is fabulous at that. So we're pretty comfortable giving Tammy and Storybook Destinations a shot at this. Here's what we want you guys to do. Over the next few months, as you plan your next trip to a Disney theme park, ask Storybook Destinations for a quote, again, at storybookdestinations.com slash Disney Dish. And let us know what you think of their service. If you all think they can handle a Disney Dish event, then we'll do it. And if not, we'll look somewhere else. Like I said before, we're not taking any ad dollars from anyone until you all tell us that they're good. It's an interesting experiment, ain't it? Getting listeners to rate a potential advertiser. And you were there when it started. Tell your grandkids. And now, on with the show. Welcome back to another edition of the Unofficial Guide Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and these, dear listeners, are the dog days of summer. It's extremely hot. This is our second show for July. Fortunately, we're recording in some air conditioning. And speaking of the dogs of the dog days of summer, let's bring in one Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? Is that a reference to Secret Life of Pets? Or are we playing for the other side now, Len? What, what's this about? $100 million, Jim. Oh, 103 actually. But who's talking? That's a lot of kibble. <laughs> Jim, real quick. So I'm, I'm working on... Um, the unofficial guide to Walt Disney World with kids. And one of the things mm -hmm. that I'm looking at, and this is sort of a broad theme, I want to do a show on this actually, but it's how kids' tastes have changed in attractions over the past decade. So what I've done mm -hmm. is I've gone back and I've looked at what kids rate as the best shows in the Magic Kingdom and then or the best things in the Magic Kingdom. And I'm doing the Animal Kingdom now. Mm -hmm. Magic Kingdom, it was really interesting, and we're gonna do a whole show on this, but things that have not held up with kids, mm -hmm. mildly surprising, things like Jungle Cruise. Really? Not holding up well. Yeah, Jungle Cruise, T Enchanted Tiki Room, Country Bear Jamboree, not doing all well. You know what is doing well? What? Character greetings. Yeah. And and the interactive games. So mm -hmm. a Pirates Adventure or Sorcerers of the Magic Kingdom is doing People, kids would rather do that mm -hmm. than do virtually anything other than the classics in, uh, or, you know, like uh, Splash Mountain and Big Thunder Mountain in Frontierland and Adventureland and Liberty Square. Yeah, that's kind of telling. As part of today's show, we're going to be talking about the new Frozen stuff that's been added to Epcot. And mm -hmm. they really took that into account with the Summer Hoose. That's, by the way, how you pronounce it. Hoose, not house. Or is it? It's, it's Hoose. Oh, yeah, because it's, uh, it's Norse, yeah. But yeah, they have done perhaps the most elaborate meet and greet that they've ever done in the history of the company. This is a Royal Summer. 
Yeah, yeah. And they took an expansion pad that was next door to Norway. And honestly, if you walk in there today, it looks like it's been there forever, Len. I, I think I think we call that Mexico Jim. Funny <laughs> you bring that up because there's a berm of the relatively small space between Mexico and Norway. But if you're coming into the summer who's from the, the entrance toward the left mm-hmm. and you know, you pass some pretty elaborate rock work that's got carving in it. The insane attention to detail, it's not just rock work, it's rock work covered with moss. Oh, yeah. The conceit of this whole idea, the summer host, is it, it's modeled after a traditional Norwegian cabin. You know, the whole area takes its inspiration for from an area in Norway known as Trondheim. But this is supposed to be Anna and Elsa's childhood retreat, you know, where they came with their families when they were younger. And oh, that's why when you walk through the thing, there are, there are family heirlooms, treasures from their childhood. But... After everything that happened in the Frozen movie from 2013, now that Elsa's the queen, she's reopened this cabin again. And it's once again a place of joy and family, and you are being invited into this very personal space for Anna and Elsa. And so you go inside, and this is traditional Norwegian folk art everywhere. I mean, again, I know people complain that they're shoehorning Frozen into Norway, but they've really made an effort to make a lot of connective tissue. So there's rose mailing everywhere, huge rose mailing in the ceiling, down to these little ornamental spoons that are on display. So you, to make your way through the rest of the building, in, in one of the corners just before you enter, one of the three rooms where you'll meet Anna and Elsa, it's what's known as a Kubustal chair. It's this chair that's carved out of a single log and the way the norwegians craftsmen do it they take you know a log has to age for a year to up to five years till it's it's ready then to carve and it's amazingly comfortable because what they do is it's not a flat chair they actually carve out a butt imprint nice I'm not sure that's how they choose the king in their land, but, you know, just sort of like, you know. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> who so rightwise fits the butt print. <laughs> Before they built this, they went over and talked with the folks who were operating Disney Prince's Fairytale Hall at New Fantasyland. Okay. And it's like, if you were going to do this again, what would you do differently? And so they've created a, a wider space, obviously, so family members can be getting their own shots and that sort of thing, coupled with the fact that Anna and Elsa each have their own very distinct space, so to speak. I mean, you know, where Anna's supposed to be standing, you can see the castle of Arendelle, and there's a folk painting of a sunflower over where she stands. Where, mm-hmm. where Elsa stands, it's a view of her ice palace, and there's a snowflake painted above the space. If you turn around and look around the edge of the room, there's all this discreet theatrical lighting. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, I see the photos. Yeah, see the photos, yeah. Is that not necessarily there to make the princesses look good? That's there to make you look good. You want a good picture to take home. So they, they took the time to actually light the folks better. So the, uh, the lighting itself, the theatrical lighting that you mentioned, Jim, mm-hmm. has every color in the rainbow in it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. It's, uh, and it's in a circle. And the interesting thing about it is if you look at where Anna is, it sort of mimics the sunflower pattern on the floor, on the carpet of her floor. The rainbow thing, it works in really well. Mm-hmm. All right, so you have your wonderful meet and greet. And then, you know, of course, it's a Disney theme park. So how do you exit your photo meet and greet but through the gift shop, gift shop. which is the wandering reindeer? There's some of the best detailing in the attraction in the gift shop. So up on the walls are skis and snowshoes and yeah they've done a, they've done a great job on this the photos look the photos look great if you're looking around the room there's some Norwegian that's scattered along the painted along the wall that actually explains the tale of the wandering reindeer you know the Disney fan community has really not been a big supporter of this project and again I get it it replaced 
a ride that a lot of people loved. This thing has been from development, initial conversations to turning the key on it, two and a half years. To jump into the ride itself. This is Frozen Ever After. Not a book report. Anybody who's familiar with a lot of the early Fantasyland they really were book reports. You sort of chased Snow White and she kissed the prince at the end. And yeah. Under the Sea, Journey of the Little Mermaid is a classic example of this. It's a straightforward retelling of the... Uh, there you go. This. Okay. And so the, the, the Imaginers didn't want to do that. What they decided to do is that this is set post-film and that's the same story that Simmerhus is telling. This is a happier time. And so when you go into this insanely elaborate queue you know, actually pass a formal proclamation that says the kingdom is invited to a summer snow day celebration in honor of the day that princess anna saved her sister queen elsa with an unselfish act of love and all will be welcome at a royal reception inside the ice palace so you make your way through the queue and, and they're talking about hey tours of the kingdom are now departing so people loved wandering oaken from the movie but the problem is wandering oaken is actually way the hell out in the woods that's his trading post in sauna so what they did and said is this is kind of his downtown store <laughs> it's the outpost <laughs> yeah that's right oaken's tokens and sauna there's an interactive element where you come into the store and it's empty but there's just door to a sauna that's sort of steamed over and every so often oaken wipes the window from inside and i'll be out in a few minutes <laughs> Is it really steam? No, no, it's all projected effects, but it's very cute. It's a fun little moment. Do you now actually board in what used to be the offload area of Maelstrom? And then the S-curve is, uh, with these two no-show scenes, yeah. is in the old load area of the attraction. And now we get to the real question. If I'm getting on this boat, what row is the best row to be in? Mm. I managed to get in four rides on this thing. And I rode in every row of the boat to try to, to get a sense of what the best seat was. And to be honest, if you're in the very front seat, there's a really fun show moment in the first scene or two. I mean, you, you come out of the, the load area and you, you make the first turn and you go under this, this ice over willow tree. Mm -hmm. And there's the Olaf and, and Sven AA figures. And what's great is... Olaf actually sees you and reacts with surprise and walks over toward you. But it's really only if you're in the front seat of the boat you get to see that. The downside is there's this wonderful moment in this initial show scene where Olaf actually looks at and gestures to each row of the boat. And three of the times that I was on the boat, it synced up perfectly. Fourth time I'm riding through, the boat, whether it was... Because it was lighter, I think I was only myself and another person in the boat, or we launched pr properly, but we were late getting to him. And he, he's literally gesturing to where the boat isn't. <laughs> where the boat should be? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. But, you know, I mean, it, it's still a fun moment. You go to your second show scene, and it's the trolls who sort of, for the one person on the planet who's never heard the story of Frozen, Pappy Troll gives you the 15-second soundbite. It's like, yeah, she saved her. Okay, get up the mountain. <laughs> anyway, you head up the load hill. You are not the first to pass this way, and this is that place in the, the attraction where that happened, but mm -hmm. it's still the same old ride system. So there's a clack, 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 clack as you go up the hill that kind of pulls you out a little bit. Is it really? All right. Yeah. But on the okay. other on the other hand, this is your first taste of the use of projections in this building. And on either side of the show, the walls, there are these amazing projections of ice magic and snowflakes. And one of the other things, you're going to get to the top rise here and 
You next get to see another Olaf figure. And every time I rode through this thing, the soundtrack that we're hearing wasn't synced up with the mouth or the actions of the Olaf puppet. But this was the only scene out of the attraction where there was consistent technical issues. You then proceed to a show scene with Anna and Kristoff and and Sven. And this is where you get your first real taste of the human audio animatronic figures that are done for this lens. And this is the first time in a Disney theme park stateside that they've used these all electric animatronic figures. It's no longer hydraulic fluid. And they are stunning. They, they are amazingly fluid. The video that I've seen on them are, are really, really good. They're, they're very lifelike. The, uh, mm. We've seen hints of this technology at mm. Seven Dwarfs Mine Train, right? With the internal yeah. projection stuff. Yeah, but this is definitely a next step up. Epcot really needed a fr- family-friendly attraction. Uh, that, that was one of the reasons that Frozen went into this park, the Frozen sure. ride. That then changed this project basically into the world's most expensive kitchen remodel because they had to build around the flume and it created a new section of the flume for the S-curve at the beginning. But it's now, how do you tell a story using this flume? And that's what's absolutely amazing about the the big scene of this where you get to the three-headed troll room and you have Elsa up there you know, singing Let It Go, and you then begin to slide back down the hill as the troll, back, back, over the fellas. It's all beautifully synced to the Let It Go song. Right. When you are sliding backwards down the flume as she sings Let It Go, again, Elsa's conjuring up ice magic, and overhead, the fiber optics chase you down the track. Oh, okay. So I've been looking at ride video and you don't see that part of it. Okay. No, you you have to look up. And anyway, so from there you slide down your your second ride hill. This is the moment in the attraction previously where you pass the oil rig, but now it's the Castle of Arendelle and there's these wonderful snowflake-shaped fireworks that blow off. And then you enter your final show scene and it's Anna, Elsa, and Olaf singing the In Summer song from the movie. It's this wonderful little show beat, and then you're back into the load-unload area. And this is perhaps the best dark ride that Disney's ever done. There are issues. I mean, this thing has, what, 900, 1,000 people an hour capacity? If things are going really, really well, yeah. If things are going really, really well. And so, again, there's a five-hour line outside. Let me ask this question about this, Jim. Yep. The the strong rumor is that Mm -hmm. the thing wasn't ready when it opened. That Disney wanted to hit June 21st mm-hmm. because of the issues that they had with Rivers of Light and and the stuff that Universal was doing with Kong, et cetera, et cetera. Is there any truth to that? Look, it's a very competitive marketplace. And you're right, particularly in, in the wake of, of Rivers of Light. Disney needed some good news, especially given everything that's going on in Florida. So, But every attraction has you know that sort of thing happen early on. But that's why you have a soft opening. Hey, come September, October, folks, this is really something you want to get in line for. (laughs) I mean, I just cautioned folks that, yes, you know, if you've been following what's been going on this ride at all, that it's been prone to breakdowns lately, but it's still worth it. If it's running during your Disney World vacation and if you can get a fast pass. Yeah. Do it. That's the thing that we're telling people that uh, because of the breakdowns and because of the uh, the long lines, mm-hmm. uh, if you're going to get to Epcot early in the morning, uh, ride Soar and ride Test Track, use the single rider line for that, yep. and then go see Frozen Ever After using a fast pass. Disney is not getting out of the Frozen business. There is a Frozen 
holiday special that's actually being produced by the folks who did the two prep and landing shows for Disney. Oh, really? I think is debuting this holiday season. You've got the Frozen Broadway musical that tries out in Denver next summer and then opens on Broadway on the 18th. And they just announced Wreck-It Ralph 2's release date in... What's up with that? What? Wreck-It Ralph 2. I didn't think it was a good enough movie to get a, uh, to get a first one. <laughs> well, you know, it, it actually did very well then. I mean, box off point of view, and I was talking with friends at, at Animation, and evidently Rich Moore came up with the idea for the sequel while he was out doing press for the first film, and he was telling it to the folks at Disney, and they're like, oh my God, we got to make that movie, because, you know, now that everyone recognizes what a Wreck-It Ralph is and how fond it is of, you know, and respectful of the gaming Gaming, world, everybody wants in. So it's like, you can make the next film that much better, and now the conceit, you know, is that Ralph wrecks the internet. But that's that's the thing. Disney's been working... On getting these these chunks of it out there, you know, and it just it, it was it's been a long negotiation, and and that, that coupled great. with the fact that Rich had to sort of step away from all the work they were doing on Wreck It Ralph and go help with Zootopia, but no, and it, it, trust me, it, it's it's if, particularly for those of us who work on the web, it's going to be a fun film. So oh, fantastic, that's very good. All right, Jim, what, uh, what do we do for the next show? I got to see a lot of fun stuff at this press trip. And, and if folks are interested, we can dig down deep into Star Wars, A Galactic Spectacular, which really, mm. that's a fascinating project, Len. Just from the yeah. one little stat to sort of throw out there to tease folks, this is the biggest fireworks show that's ever been done at uh, for Disney Hollywood Studios. Uh, one of the reasons they actually built that area, the new pyro launch area on the other side of World Drive, is that, well, take, for example, this this show that just debuted. In Wishes, oh, over the course of that show, they mm-hmm. shoot off four 8- to 10-inch firework shells, these pyro shells. That they're the big boomers, all right? Okay. For this show, they actually fire off 22. Wow, a lot yeah. more. And they needed that area. In fact, one of the reasons they built this is going forward. I mean, remember how whenever you saw a fireworks show at Disney MGM, they have to sh- close off the streets of America. They had to close off, you know, Pixar Place, you know, just force people to the front of the park. But they, they don't have that problem now because it already is closed. <laughs> well, th- this is the thing. They plan on going forward when when Toy Story Land is in place and when Star Wars' experience is open, when they do a fireworks show now because of the pyro is now based across the street, you can stand anywhere in this park and watch a fireworks show. You know, they, they're never oh, chasing nice. you out again. So, but we'll get to nice, We'll get into more detail about that show next time around. All right. You've been listening to the Unofficial Guide Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. We are produced, fabulously, I might add, by Aaron Adams. Please go on to iTunes and Stitcher and rate our show and tell us what you would like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show. Take care.